Uh, back in 2004, Catherine and I went to a place called Alfouad in the French Alps. Um, her father used to live in France, and I brought some of my climbing gear with me today, just so you get a bit of a feel for um, what we were doing. It was pretty rugged um, rock faces, not like um, if you've ever climbed in Australia. Australia's got lots of really, really kind of like deep crags, big things to hold on to. But in France, in this place called Alfouad, the, the rock was a little bit more like a slab. And what that meant was there was not very much to hold on to um, whatsoever. And uh, we were standing at the bottom of this uh, cliff. And, and as I was looking up, I looked up and I thought, yeah, okay, I can't really see the whole way to the top, but it looks like I'm going to be able to make it. And so I decided to lead climb um, up this cliff, right? Now, if you don't know what a lead climbing is, lead climbing is where um, you're the crazy person um, who decides to take the rope up as you're climbing. And, uh, and when you hit points on the wall, you clip in uh, with, your, with your clips, with your quick draws, and then you clip the rope into the other bit, and then you drag the rope up, and when you get to that point, that is your safety point. You, you know that when you kind of hit there, if you fall, that the rope is going to catch you. But the trick is, what you need to do is, to actually get the rope up there, you need to climb beyond your safety point. And sometimes a couple of meters, sometimes five, sometimes, especially if you miss one like I did, um, around about eight to ten meters high. Now, this is kind of pretty crazy, and it's a little bit gnarly at times, but it's good fun. Anyway, I managed to get about three quarters of the way up this cliff face. And, and so far at this point, it was leaning a little bit away from me. So there was a, a decent amount of friction. I could, I could climb it up relatively easily. And then I got to this point where I'm standing a little bit like this. I've, I've got one foot over here, and I've got a toe, my big toe, rested on something about the size of my nose and just poking out from the rock. And then my other toes are way over here like this. I can't stretch this far. And, uh, and, and it's resting on something the same size, and my hands are just like that. And, and I'm here I've got the rope. I'm five to eight meters kind of beyond where my safety point is. And I look up, and the wall's starting to kind of come this way. And I'm just going, oh, my goodness, what? what's going to happen? I, I, there's no way that I can make it. And as I'm standing up there holding on, I'm, I'm looking and I'm trying to work out, how am I going to make that next move? How am I going to kind of hit it there? I knew that I'd climbed so far beyond my safety point that if I fell, I was going to fall pretty hard. Now, I was most likely not going to fall to the bottom, but I was going to fall um, pretty hard. And the problem was, the longer that I stayed there, the more that I just, my feet started cramping up, the more that my arms just kind of continued to be stuck there. And I couldn't do anything apart from shout down to my wife, Catherine. And I was basically shouting down to her, going, Catherine! Well, I wasn't kind of putting my hands like this, right? Because then I would have been gone. Um, but I was shouting down, hey, Catherine, I, I can't make the next move. I don't know what to do. And she's just shouting up at me going, yeah, you can. You know, and she's shouting up, going, of course you can. Come on, like, it's not that bad. Just get up there. Like, it's easy. Keep going. And, and after a bit of shouting, kind of back and forward, I asked her for help. And I'm like, I can't do it, Catherine. I need your help. And uh, she shouted back up at me, said, 
No, no, you can. You have to. Because if you don't do it, all of my gear, that's all of this stuff, is going to be left behind. And it's really, really expensive. And by that point, I just go, just drop me then. Like, if you don't care about me and you care about this stuff, just drop me. Let me fall. And it'll be okay. And, uh, and anyway, we're kind of having this domestic up and down this cliff face in France. And, um, and, and, and I, I was just kind of envisaging myself plummeting and, and getting really, really hurt. Sakathra so shouted up, okay, I will help you down. And she started shouting some instructions to me. And, and one of them was that you need to move and start climbing down. And I'm like, not a chance. Like, I, I can't move from here at all. And I remember that she shouted up these words to me. So it's something along the lines of this. It wasn't her exact words. She shouted up, Lee, you have to trust me. You have to trust me. This is the only way that I can get you down and get you down safe. Either you trust me and do what I say, or you will fall. You have to trust me. So I trusted Catherine, and I obviously lived um, to tell the tale. Um, Now, I want to ask you something today. I want to ask you something. I don't want you to answer it out loud, but I do want you to hold the answer in your head over this next little bit. Did my trust or my faith save me? Did my trust or did my faith save me? You see, over these last few weeks, um, Paul um, has been writing in his letter that he's written to the church in Rome. He's basically been presenting this picture of humanity where it seems as though, metaphorically speaking, humanity and all people are stuck on the edge of a cliff and in needing of being saved. But what he's been presenting to us is that we need saved from something far worse than falling off a cliff in France, right? He is actually suggesting that we need saving from God and from His wrath because of this thing which He calls our unrighteousness. Now, we've spent a couple of sermons on this. So if you're here and visiting with us and you're going, that sounds a little bit off, I want to encourage you to jump onto our website and go and listen to what we think Paul's understanding is here. But essentially, what he's saying in this is because we do not love God the way that we should, and because we do not love other people, then in God's eyes, he considers us as people who are unrighteous. That is, we are not right before God. And because of that, Paul reckons that all people are under the wrath of God, and we need saving. Now, that's a pretty dire assessment, isn't it? It is, and we've been wrestling with this over the last few weeks at Establish, but now we get to what I reckon is probably one of the biggest turnarounds that we see in the book of Romans. And we get to a part where Paul starts to give us the answer to the problem. He starts to actually point us to the solution. It's like he's standing at the bottom of the cliff and he's, he's shouting up to us and, and he's wanting to shout to all people, here is the way that you can get off the cliff. Here is the solution. And do you know what the solution is? He reckons that the solution is this thing called faith. Now remember the question. 
Is it faith that saves us? Now, Paul actually goes on and he uses that word faith eight times in just these um, 10 verses. And he reckons that faith is the only way for us to be saved from our unrighteousness. Faith and faith alone. Now, if Paul is right, I want to say that regardless of your church background, your family background, regardless of however you might identify yourself today, that this is absolutely crucial for you to know. It's absolutely crucial for you to know whether or not faith will indeed save you. And in verse 21, which you'll hopefully have in your little handouts there, that's a small number 21, and we see that there is a type of faith, at least, that doesn't save us. It's faith in the law. But now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known. Now, now it's not very explicit here what he's saying, but what he means by apart from the law here is faith in the law, or faith in what we call in the Old Testament, the Old Testament scriptures or the Bible, where we get the Ten Commandments and all of those things and in that. And Paul has just been arguing the whole way along that faith in that will not ultimately save you. So there is a faith that doesn't save us, right? So what he's saying is, if you're on the edge of the cliff, I've just presented to you a picture of humanity, and, and you're kind of there as you're reading along with him, and you're going, right, okay, we're on the edge of the cliff. We, we agree with you. We're getting you there. Um, a lot of the readers that would have read this and um, would have thought that they could look back and they could grab a hold of the law and that they could grab a hold of that, and that would be the thing that would save them. And Paul is just simply saying, no, it won't. If what we need is a righteousness that comes from God, he's saying, look, apart from the law, it doesn't come from the law. He's essentially saying that our faith would be misplaced. And, and that's what a lot of people thought. A lot of people thought that they could trust in this law, that they could earn God's favor, that they could correct this problem by, by doing good, by getting things all kind of sorted out. And Paul is just saying, no, it won't work. But he's not just talking about the law here, right? He's talking about the law and all of the laws in a more general sense that we might put um, kind of for ourselves about how we might get right with God. He's kind of talking about them all here because, you see, when we think about this problem, and I don't know if you've done this before, you may or may not believe that there, that there is a God, but if you do, at least for argument's sake, um, often we play this little game and we go, right, okay, and there is a God and there is a problem, but surely if I just follow my own law, if I just kind of go about my business and let each to their own and I, I kind of set my law and I try to be a good person, to be a third income kind of guy, then surely God will save me. And, and we put our faith in that, don't we? We put our faith in how good we can be. We put our faith in how much we help other people. We put our faith in all sorts of things. We even put our faith in going to church. And whether or not we read the Bible, we put our faith in whether or not we've maybe been dedicated or baptized into a family. And Paul is saying that those things, the law that we kind of might set out to determine whether or not we'd be right with God, he's saying that would be misplaced faith. That kind of faith won't save us. 
What is needed is what we see in verse 23. A righteousness that is given through faith in Christ Jesus. You see, if you've been here and following along with us, one of the things that we've been seeing is that Paul summarizes in verse 24 is that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That's kind of his summary statement for what he's been arguing for, right? Last week, we saw that he was saying that if there is no one right, that there is no one righteous. In other words, there is no one who is right before God and not even one. And in this week, it looks as though what Paul is saying is that the solution to that cannot be a faith that we find in the law or a faith that we find in ourselves through our own work and our own effort. If those things are true, then I want to say to you today that what we need is faith in something else or someone else. You see, if we can't make ourselves right before God, then we need someone else who can do that for us. I couldn't get myself off the cliff. I was stuck. I needed someone else to save me. And we're told here that that comes through faith. But it's not just this abstract idea of faith, right? I don't know if you think about faith in this way, that it's just some kind of abstract, airy, fairy type thing that some people have. You know, sometimes I hear people saying to me, well, well, that's okay for you. You're a man of faith or, or you have faith. I wish I had the faith that you had. And, and if I did have the faith that you had, then I would believe. But faith isn't this abstract idea. Sometimes we say that all we need is just a little bit more faith. Now, that's kind of true. But what do we mean by that? Often in church circles, we mean that we need to work harder, that we need to kind of do more, and, and that's not really what Paul's talking about either. Those things would all be misplaced, according to Paul. What we need is faith in something. And, and Paul is saying here that actually faith does not save you. Faith in and of itself does not save you. Misplaced does not save you. What will save you is faith that is in Christ Jesus. Do you get that? And in fact, he's not even saying here that it's the measure of our faith or the quantity of our faith or the quality of our faith that saves us, but simply the object of our faith that saves us, the person and the work of Jesus. And when you think about it, right, when you go back to me kind of on the edge of the cliff and, and the question that I asked you earlier, I'm kind of clipped on here, I'm five, eight meters up above that, and Catherine's been shouting up to me, you just need to trust me, um, was it my faith that saved me at that point? What do you reckon? Did my faith save me? No, it didn't. My faith didn't save me at all. It was the object of my faith that saved me. It was the person and the work of Cathra that actually saved me. I could have had all of the faith that you kind of think, and it could have been placed in all sorts of different ways, and I would have plummeted to the ground. But because I had faith in Cathra, I was saved. 
Now, what I didn't tell you at the beginning, some of you might know, and that Catherine is actually a pretty epic um, mountaineer. Um, she is an absolute gun at climbing mountains. And uh, in fact, she not only is an experienced climber, she was a rock climbing instructor. I have watched her um, getting herself over many, many problems. I've seen her saving people in the rock climbing wall she used to work at. I know that she is meticulous with her gear. And there are all of these things that kind of meant that when I was putting my trust in her, that that wasn't misplaced. I knew that she had the skills, I knew that she had the ability, and I knew that she loved me and ultimately didn't want me to plummet to the ground, right? So I was right to put my trust in her, wasn't I? Now, I wouldn't have had any choice, right, <laughs> at that point, um, but I was right in putting my trust in her. I might not have been right in putting my trust in James or my mom or whatever, who I know don't know really anything about rock climbing. Um, I might have been better trusting myself. But do you get what I'm saying? It wasn't my faith that saved me that day, but the object of my faith. That's why it was saving faith. And, and so it is for all of us when we think about this predicament that Paul is presenting for us here. No amount of misplaced faith will save us. No amount of abstract ideas about faith will save us. According to Paul, the only faith that will save us is faith that is in Christ Jesus. So let me ask you a question. What is it that you're currently putting your faith in? What is it that you're currently putting your faith in? Is it Jesus? And if you're putting your faith in Jesus or you're exploring what that is, how do you actually know that you can trust Jesus. You see, for me, I knew Catherine. I, I saw all of the things that she was good at. I knew her credentials. I knew that she'd be good for the task. But what about Jesus? Well, Paul's already highlighted for us a few things in the book of Romans, right? In chapter 1, Paul kind of tells us that Jesus is trustworthy because he's got some pretty good credentials, and I'll, I'll just highlight them for you right now. And basically, he said, look, we can trust in Jesus because he was one who was promised in the Old Testament, and we see that fulfilled in the New Testament, that this bloke, Jesus, who walked the earth over 2,000 years ago, actually fulfilled things that were written 700 years or more about him. Now, if you've never explored those, it'd be really worth having a look. It's pretty spectacular. It doesn't prove that he is God, but it just helps us work out whether or not we can put our trust in him. Paul actually comes to the conclusion because of that and many other things um, that he has seen that this Jesus is actually the son of God. That he is one who was there from the beginning, who created all things, the heavens and the earth. And because of that, he is suggesting that he is someone who is trustworthy. But there's one thing the whole way back in Romans 1 um, that I reckon Paul highlights that really gives us um, a bit of an idea that Jesus was who he said he was and he was trustworthy. And it's this. It's way back in chapter 1. I'll just read it for you. That Jesus was appointed the Son of God in power by his resurrection from the dead. By his resurrection from the dead. You see, if you're here and you're checking out Jesus today, then go right to the resurrection. 
Because that's where we see whether or not Jesus was or not who he said he was. That's where we actually see that his credentials are completely valid. And it's this reason, I think, that Paul presents to us to say, you know what, guys? I have presented a huge problem. This is a predicament for all of humanity, and I am giving you the solution here, and you can trust it. You can put your faith in Jesus. In fact, he reckons that if Jesus did not rise from the dead, then we actually don't have a foothold at all. We, we ought not have any confidence because it means that he wasn't who he said he was. It, it means that he wasn't victorious over the things that he said he would be over sin and death. But Paul and at established church and Christians, we believe, don't we? We believe, don't we? That Jesus rose from the dead. And because he rose from the dead, we believe that he conquered sin and death. If we're lacking in our confidence as to whether or not Jesus can save us, then we look at the resurrection. We remind ourselves that Jesus not only died and not only was buried, but he actually rose again from the dead. If you trust in Jesus, your faith is not misplaced. It's not misplaced. But more than that, and Paul goes on to kind of highlight uh, the work, and he, he kind of paints three pictures for us that we're going to look at briefly. And the first thing is the word justified, right? So verse 24, all that is everyone who trusts in Jesus, that's what he's saying there, by all, are justified. Now this word justified relates to the word righteous. And what Paul is saying is that everyone who trusts in Jesus that they were one time, at one time, people who were unrighteous, that is, they went right before God, so therefore they were stuck on the cliff, they were under the wrath of God, are now, through trust in Jesus, declared righteous. That is, they're now right with God because of their trust in Jesus. And, and the word to describe that is the word justified. And, and what he means when you dig into that is he means that, that this is not something that we can generate or something that we can work and towards ourselves. We, we cannot make ourselves right with God, but Jesus can. And do you know what that means, established church? That means that when God looks at you, he looks at you as though you have never sinned. He looks at you and he does not hold your sin, past, present, or future against you. And we're told that this is something that comes freely by grace. You know, faith is not the thing that saves us. The amount of our faith will not save us. All we do to this gift that has been given to us is what? What do you do with a gift? You, you receive it. You, you accept it as your own. That's all we do. I received the invitation of Catherine as she's shouting up to me to trust in her, and I acted on her words. I received the information that she had given me. I didn't do anything other than that. And that's pretty awesome. That's actually really, really good news for us. 
And in doing that, I think it's like Paul really shouting up to us, right? It's like Paul absolutely shouting up to us and he's saying, look, if you continue to go the way that you're going, if you continue to kind of try and put your faith and your trust in yourself or in this way of going or any way other than through Jesus, then you're not going to be righteous in that. Your faith will be misplaced. Trust in Jesus. He is the only way that you can get off this cliff. But he also reckons we can trust in this work because of this word redemption, right? I don't know if you can see it there, um, the word redemption. And, and really, this is just another picture to help us get the fullness of what Jesus did. What this idea is, it's an idea of buying people out of slavery, right? It's buying people out of slavery by paying a price for them so that they can be set free, and in this kind of language, what Paul is trying to say is that when we are, if all of us are up there on that cliff, when we are there, um, he's essentially saying that this is like a kind of bondage, that this is like a kind of slavery. And, and that's what I felt like, certainly, when I was kind of stuck like this up on the mountain. I, I couldn't move anywhere. I, I couldn't kind of see how I might get myself out of that. And Paul is saying... That Jesus, when he died on the cross, what he did was, not only were we made right with God, but we were actually rescued off the cliff and put into the loving arms of God the Father. That we were res rescued from the bondage of our idea that we might be able to save ourselves. That we were rescued by exploring many, many other things that we think might save us and will lead us to destruction that we're saved from the bondage of sin. Not that we stop sinning, but that we're no longer defined by that. We are free from that being our identity. And that's what he's saying, that we have been redeemed. Jesus doesn't just declare us right or justified. He also rescues us and redeems us. And the climactic thing, I think, the, the core thing, and, and hopefully you can have a look and follow along, the core thing that I think that Paul is really getting at here, that we are justified and redeemed, and we see in verse 25. So have a look. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood. Now, now that idea, sacrifice of atonement, it's really strange, but really that's a translation of a word, propitiation, right? It's a really big, nerdy word, propitiation. And in Greek thinking, um, what happened was um, that, that basically propitiation was all about averting the wrath of a god, right? So before you would go to sea, what you would do is you would make a sacrifice um, so that you would propitiate and avert the wrath of the god of the sea away so that you wouldn't be swallowed up by the sea. Do you get the idea? Propitiate, it's to kind of avert away the wrath of the gods. Now, there's something very different about the Greek gods of that day that the Romans would have been well accustomed to and the God of the Bible. You see, for the Greek gods, people wouldn't really have known what it was that was actually making them angry. But Paul's kind of outlined that for us. With the Greek gods as well, you wouldn't have really known whether or not 
you actually had propitiated away their wrath. You, you never knew whether or not you had done enough to avert their wrath away from you. And I actually want to say with our own little gods or our own little laws as to how we think we might be right with God, that we never know in that way of thinking whether or not we have done enough to be accepted by God, do we? But the God of the Bible is different here. And Paul kind of highlights that over and over and over again. Two very different contexts, but the word is similar. It's got the similar idea. At its core, what it's saying is that there's something about this sacrifice of Jesus on the cross that actually absorbs the wrath of God and averts it away from us. It absorbs and it averts. It's like the lightning rod on center point tar. I don't know if you've ever seen it. Um, but what it does is that when there's lightning storms in Sydney, the big bolt of lightning will come and it will hit the lightning rod and the lightning rod will absorb all of the power and all of the energy of the electricity and then it will avert it away to safety so that people won't get fried. And Paul's kind of painting a similar picture here where the cross of Jesus actually absorbs this thing that he calls the wrath of God. And he averts it away from us so that we are no longer under it. You see, if we don't get this, we actually don't solve the problem that Paul has presented to us. We really, really need to get this established. You see, if the problem that Paul is presenting is that we are under the wrath of God because we have been made unrighteous, then we need to deal with that. And what Paul is saying is that that was dealt with by Jesus. And because of that, you no longer need to fear that if you trust in Jesus. Now, what does that mean for us? I've got three things for you um, to think about and to go away and, and maybe even chat about over, um, over dinner tonight. But firstly, what this means for us is if, if Paul's right, okay, if what he's saying here is right, then we need to ensure that we know what it is that we have faith in, don't we? If this is right, we need to make sure that our faith is in the right thing, that it's actually in the right person. You see, the stakes are, are too high to get wrong. If he's right, if we're trusting in anyone or anything other than Jesus, then, then that won't work. And, and for those of you who are maybe here and you're checking out Jesus or you've been dragged along, I, I want to encourage you to actually really check him out. But because aside all of this wrath stuff and, and all of the different things that you see, if you actually look at the life of Jesus, you will see that he is one who came out of love for you to save you by faith, not asking you to do anything, but just simply receive it. And for those of you who are trusting in Jesus, you actually need to work really, really hard. Now, I don't mean for your salvation, but I mean that you need to work really, really hard so that you don't think that you need to put your trust in something else, especially yourself, right? 
Because as you continue as a Christian and as you hear the gospel, you kind of keep on going, heard it, heard it, heard it, heard it, heard it, heard it, heard it. And, and all of a sudden, we start putting ourselves as the thing that we put our trust in. And we take our eyes off Jesus. You need to keep on remembering that it is not faith in and of itself. It is not just any faith on something else, but just simply faith in Jesus. That means that you are secure. Keep having faith in Jesus established. Second, if Jesus has dealt with the problem as a propitiation for sin, right? Using that big word again, through his blood on the cross. If he has actually done that, that means that we can be confident that the problem has been dealt with. We can have absolute certainty that the problem has been dealt with. And what this means for you is that, that if you're living with the guilt and shame of things maybe that you've done in the past or, or things, the fear of the things that you might do in the future, that God will no longer hold that over you. That you actually no longer need to sit in the shame of that, in the guilt of that, because that is not who you are. That has actually been paid for and the wrath of God has been paid for and that, and you will not have that held over you. Keep trusting in Jesus. And some of you really, really need to hear this today, don't you? Because you mull over and mull over and beat yourself up and kind of wonder and question whether or not God has really saved you and whether or not he will actually see that through to fruition. And you go over it and over it and over it and you beat yourself up. But listen to this. Jeremiah 31 verse 34 tells us that God will remember our sins no more. Say that to yourself, established church. God will remember my sin no more. That's the promise that we've been given, right? Psalm 103, we're told that as far as the east, is that the east? I don't know. It's kind of up that way. It's from the west. So far has he removed our transgressions from us. That's the confidence that you can have. In fact, it's way better than that established. You see, this idea, when you dig into it, it's not just about escaping God's wrath, right? It's way better than that. It's not just about escaping. It's actually also about receiving the embrace of God. Because if all of those things are true, then that means you are embraced by the God of the universe who made you by the one who knows you, by the one who gave up everything for you. It's not just about escape. If that's all you hear in the Christian message, then you're not hearing the other side or we're not doing our job well enough. It's not just about escape. It's about embrace by the Father in heaven. And then lastly, if we're saved, not by the measure of our faith, right, but through the object of our faith, then we can have complete confidence then that that will be something that will never leave us. And a couple of weeks ago, um, some of you will know that I was back in Ireland visiting family. And at the end of my time there, my, my granny died, Granny Jeannie. And um, she had been trusting Jesus for maybe around about 17 years or something like that. 
And for most of the time that I knew her, I've been overseas in, in Australia. And for most of the time that I've known her, she's been really concerned about the confidence that she might have in her faith. And most of the time when I go back to visit her, she would say things like, I'm not sure if I've read my Bible enough. I'm, I'm not sure. I'm kind of struggling. I'm in pain. I can't really get to church as much as what I would like to do. And every time I would just say to her, she would say to me, am I doing enough? And do you know what I would say to her? Do you know what I would say to her? Are you trusting in Jesus? Is your faith in Jesus? And the answer would be yes. Then you're doing enough. Then you're doing enough. You can be confident in that because, Granny, it is not about the measure of your faith, but the object of your faith. This is all about Jesus. This is all about Jesus. Keep trusting in him. And the last time that I saw my granny alive, um, I knew that she had this confidence, right? Um, I had the wonderful privilege of being back home and, and actually being with her um, just before she died. And uh, during that time, she knew that her faith couldn't be in herself. She actually knew that her faith couldn't be in how much she read her Bible or went to church or anything like that. She knew that it couldn't be in some kind of random idea. She knew that it couldn't be in the faith of her family or, or anything else. She knew that the only thing that she could be confident in is that she had faith in Jesus and in Christ alone. And the last thing I got to do with, with Granny was this. I, I got to read these words from Romans 8, and, and I want you to hear them. In all these things, now this is Paul summing up kind of what we have said and way more. He's saying, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. Why? Because it's not about the measure of our faith, but the object of our faith. And my granny just simply said, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. And, and just before she passed away, she was apparently singing songs about her trust in Jesus. When I was on the side of the cliff in France, did my faith save me? No, it didn't. It was the object of my faith. And as we stand before God, like we all will, it will not be our faith that saves us. It will not even be the measure of our faith that saves us. But it will be the object of our faith, Jesus. What an awesome message that is. That is something that we receive freely by grace. Something that we don't need to work for. Something that gives us this kind of confidence, even confidence in death. Pray with me. And Father God, I just um, thank you so much that even through difficult diagnosis and, uh, and through a picture that you paint for us through Paul that that just looks dire. It's not stuff that we like to talk about, Father, but I thank you that you show it to us um, so that we can see the solution. Help us not to trust and have faith in ourselves, but to trust in you.
Amen.